Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, I'm Angie Fenimore, and I had a near-death experience. I had an NDE back in 1991. I had a very difficult childhood. My mother left when I was nine and my father went off the deep end. And I don't hold any animosity. And in fact, I have a really great relationship with my mother now. But at the time when I was turning 27 years old, I was dealing with a whole lot of emotional issues and I blamed myself. And I'd sought help and couldn't find it in any direction whatsoever. I finally came to a point I was married at the time and I had two little boys who were just two and five years old. And I really felt like they would be better off without me. And so I decided to take matters into my own hands. So I did everything possible. I was very serious about this and I laid down on the couch. I could feel it happening. I could feel myself separating from my body and you should know that I did send my children to my neighbor's house with a note saying, I'm not feeling well. So they were not there at the time, but I laid down on the couch and I closed my eyes and I could feel myself separating from my body. There was this huge vibration and this loud noise. I, I lived on an Air Force base in Okinawa, Japan at the time. And I thought for a moment that there was an F-15 coming down in the backyard, like, it was that loud and the vibration was that powerful. And so I opened my eyes and I looked over at the sliding glass door with the drapes and around the room and it was clearly nothing was happening in the room. This was happening within my body. And so I closed my eyes again, realizing it's happening. And as I did, this experience overtook me again, this extremely loud whirring noise and this vibration and I could feel myself pulling out of my body. And um, I had known, my stepmother had had a near-death experience that I'd known about. And this was 1991. This was like very, very early days about we even knew anything about near-death experience. So that was my only connection to it. And so I realized, oh, this is happening. I'm leaving my body. And I wanted to watch. And so I opened my eyes. And as soon as I did, I was sucked back into my body. My stepmother had gone up to the corner of the room and she was in the emergency room and she had watched doctors working on her. And so that's what I wanted was to see this happening. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I could feel myself sucked back into my body. 
And so I eventually, like, I did this a few times and then I just closed my eyes and willed it. And that was when I realized that will was part of this. Like, I was willing my own, you know, departure from this world. And um, so I closed my eyes and when I did, I felt myself completely separate from my body, but I was taken, instead of like, you know, a pillar of light or a tunnel of light, like I was expecting, like had what had happened to my stepmother, I was taken to right into my life review. I was surrounded by this membrane that was kind of yellow, but illuminated. And there were red lines running through it. And I didn't realize until later what this was, what this space was that I was in. And then suddenly I felt myself like this and being squeezed. And then I was overtaken with this experience of euphoria and immense love, like emanating from myself, emanating from outside of myself. And then suddenly I was being held like this and cradled in a hand. And I'm looking up at this woman who looks exactly like me. So I was really confused because suddenly I'm experiencing not just my own experience, but the experience of this woman as well. And so it took a second to realize I'm looking at my mother, I look exactly like my mother. And my mother had left when I was nine years old. I had grown up feeling like she didn't want me, she didn't love me, she didn't care about me. She was self-absorbed, consumed with herself, like who leaves their two little girls, right? And suddenly what I experienced was very clearly she wanted me and she loved me. This is my first inclination that my own personal myopic view of myself, how I fit into this world, the way the world works, other people was one point of view. This is my first inclination of that. And then I'm just surrounded by this love and this woman looks away and she's speaking to somebody who I think was my father actually, but it was just very clear I was wanted and I was loved. And then I was taken out of that experience and I went through every single moment of my life so I was taken out of that experience right into every single moment of my life in chronological order. And I experienced parts of it with more depth, more color, more time. But the big thing was that I was experiencing this from all points of view, not just my own. And it was clear that some of these experiences were more important than others. And, you know, looking back, it's been a long time. Looking back, what I know now is that those experiences were the ones that I needed to, I was loved, I was, you know, I had some horrible things that happened, but I was able to see that we're all just going through our own life, our own experience, doing the best we can with what we've got. So I got all the way to the end of my life and this happened like this. And it was like, at some point I realized I'm viewing it on a screen actually that's before me, but it's, you know, interactive. And I get all the way to the point where I am lying on the couch at the very end of my life. And suddenly the screen disappears. I'm surrounded by darkness, but it's not the way we experience, like the lights are out and you can't see anything. It wasn't like that. It was like space kind of darkness where you can see forever. And I was surrounded by this darkness and suddenly there was the presence next to me. And I knew it was male. I knew that I knew him, but I couldn't see him. I heard his voice, but it was more like, there was definitely a voice, but it's not like the way we speak. It was like this all-consuming knowing that came upon me. And he said, this is the life you live. That was it. There was no drama. 
There was no significance about it, just fact. These are the facts. So at that point, I realized I'm not in this world anymore. I'm not in the physical world anymore. And so I had a cousin who passed at 11 years old and grandparents who'd moved on. So I swung my head looking for them, expecting to see them, and there was nobody there. And as I swung my head to the right, I saw that there was a line of teenagers next to me, young people, and there was about six of them. I leaned over and I looked at them and there was a girl, she must have been about 16. This is before I realized that information is just out there. So I'm certain now she was 16, but that was not me guessing her age by looking at her, that's what she's emanating. And she had this stringy blonde hair, but the most interesting and captivating feature about her was the emptiness and the sadness and the grief that had been just dwindled down to nothingness. Like there was nothing there, no hope, no nothing. And I had the thought, you know, what could be so bad in your life that you would choose to leave this world? At that point, I realized, wow, we've all done the same thing. We've all ended our lives. And so I'm leaning over looking. And as soon as I have that thought, the kid that's standing right next to me looks down at me. He's really tall. He's got on a white t-shirt and a black leather vest and black combat boots. And his hair is dyed black and spiked. And I'm thinking to myself, that's very interesting. I wouldn't think that these physical traits, especially things like clothing or things you've done to your hair, would follow through the veil and be with you on the other side. So I had this thought, you know, we've all done the same thing. And he looks down at me and just looks up and away. And at that moment, and it wasn't until later that I realized that it was my own thoughts that actually influenced the particular near-death experience that I had. So in that moment, as soon as I had the thought, I was taken from them and I blew at the speed of light in an upright position. I have no idea how far. I know I was somewhere on the planet, but just in another dimension. I start to slow down and all this is happening like this very quickly. And I start to slow down at about the same time that I see a beltway of people, basically, that are just kind of landing in this space like I am. And it stretches for as far as I can see to my left and it's empty on the right and we're just filling in, but it's this beltway, not very deep. So I land in this space and I'm looking around and the first thing I notice is everybody is in filthy white robes, which surprised me. I didn't expect it to be that literal. The next thing I notice is how disconnected they are from each other. And by at this point, by this point, I'm realizing that thoughts are audible. Um, that you don't have to speak something for it to be known and heard. But these people don't care what anybody else thinks at all. They're just muttering, and some of them loudly, about their own circumstances. If only you had done this, then I wouldn't be blah, blah, blah. Just completely self-consumed. At this point, I'm realizing I'm definitely not alive anymore. I'm still in this darkness, in this beltway, but there's this mist but it's not like a physical mist from this plane. It is a molecular darkness. It's sucking life, sucking life from me, from all, all those there. And there was this one man in particular, and he was the only one that actually looked at anybody 
but he was squatting in his filthy white robes and looking at me. I knew his eyes were blue, but I was seeing in grayscale. And at that point, that's when I realized that I was perceiving things that I shouldn't be able to know. I knew he'd been there for a very, very long time. And I wondered if this was Judas Iscariot. It was just a thought that came for me, just a question. And at that point, it was that question that propelled me into the next piece of this experience. As soon as I had that thought, I saw a pinpoint of light in the distance. And this light was growing larger, like it was coming towards me. And it was traveling very, very fast. And it stopped outside of this barrier. I knew that it couldn't come in to where I was. And I realized this is a being of light, that he's made of light. He was filled with light. And I knew that this was my father in heaven. And the guy that was squatting, the man that was squatting, he was the only one that noticed there was something going on, that I was focused on something outside of this space. And he looked and then looked back at me and he clearly didn't see this. So there was this immense love, but but it was like this fatherly, like, what did you do? kind of experience and he just said is this what you really want you can't skip over parts Um, we've all done this you don't deserve those kids you were given Um, you have been up to mischief you've been trouble and you think that this is a good idea but you have no idea what you're doing and what awaits you and you know like that that kind of communication and as soon as he said is this what you really want I had the thought well, I don't have a choice. I really felt like I had zero choice. That was how far gone I was at that time in my life. I believed I was better off and that everyone in my life was better off without me. And so it hadn't occurred to me that I'd had a choice. And so I said, I don't have a choice. I've not had a choice. And as soon as I said that, there was another being next to him, but I could not see this being. I could see pinpricks of light coming through this darkness emanating from, emanating from him. I knew he was male, I knew I knew him, and I, and I heard his voice, and it was the same voice that had greeted me after my life reveal, at the beginning of my experience. And he said, don't you understand, I've done this for you. And as soon as he spoke those words, there were three things that happened all at the same time. I was taken into his body, And I experienced, and this was Christ, and I experienced him in the garden of Gethsemane. Like, like I'm there with him. Experienced him experiencing my life, like beginning to end. And in that moment I got, there's somebody, there is somebody else who knows what I've been through and what this was like for me and how I could come to this point where I would choose this over anything else. And then at the same time, I was experiencing being in his body in that moment and this exchange of energy going back and forth between who I perceived as God the Father and Christ, but it was like Christ downloading my experience to the Father until they were like one. And all this is happening like this. And the third thing that happened is I'm also, I'm seeing myself from Christ's point of view across this invisible barrier in this dark beltway, this beltway of darkness. I see myself that way. And then I also am experiencing seeing him inside my own body. And so 
as soon as he said, don't you understand? I've done this for you. My initial thought is, yeah, okay, great, but that doesn't solve anything for me. I cannot do my life anymore. And then I was shown what would happen to my two little boys who uh, were just two and five years old. And um, my youngest one got to the point of being about eight years old, and then he was taken because he could not do this life without his mother. And uh, my older boy, I saw him get to be about 21 years old, and he was just rendered incapable of doing anything he was meant to do in this world, in this life. And he was just dark, filled with emptiness and darkness, exactly like those kids that I saw in the line at the beginning of my near-death experience. And as soon as I saw, I saw this like, I didn't see the details of their life, but I saw like the emotional roller coaster of their life, basically. And uh, as soon as I saw that, it was like this tiny whisper that didn't even get uttered, just like a barely the smidge of a thought. Okay. And as soon as I had that thought, I was like pulled up out of this space. I was hovering above it and traveling back to my body. I was surrounded by these beings of light that were just in this, you know, space like oil and vinegar above this dark space. And I asked this question, what are they doing? And I'm still hearing the voice of God. And I'm told they're helping you. They always have been. They're preparing the earth. They are helping all of you. And so as I'm traveling back to my body, it's like I was packed this suitcase of all the things that I would need. Much of the knowledge I acquired during that trip back, I was not permitted to bring with me back through the veil. Some of it I was, but most of that was just like packed within me so that I had what I'd need in order to do this world. And um, one of those things that I was told was that we don't get past the year. It was approximately 2015. And mind you, this was 1991, January of 1991, without the world doing this shift where we'll no longer tolerate the earth itself will not tolerate, like the earth has the flu with all the horrible things human beings do, and that there will be this separation. And I hate to use the words good, good and bad, evil, darkness, and it, you know, it's darkness and light is what it is, and both are required in order for anything to happen within life, in any plane. It's darkness and light. And um, spirit, that's what creates life that can be animated into physical form. We must have those elements or we don't have life. And so it was 2013 when I saw this actually happen. So I travel back and I slip back into my body. And as I do, I sit up on the edge of the couch and I can feel the effects of everything that I've taken to make this happen. I'm just like pupils blown. I can hardly move wide as a ghost, but I look around the room and I can see on a molecular level, all my houseplants are radiating light. Like they are made of light. I can see information of light coming through my TV, which is off. But I can see like the past, the present, the future, that it's elements of light and darkness in the TV. The throw pillows on my couch, I could see them in molecular form vibrating. We are couch serving you, serving God. We are throw pillow serving you, serving God. We are matter organized serving you, serving there, I, I could see that everything is made of these elements of darkness in me. And spirit animated into physical form. 
Um, and my then husband were still friends, but we eventually divorced many years later, but he came through the door. He worked at NORAD at the time. It's a big deal to leave. You know, you don't leave during the middle of the day in a lockdown facility on an Air Force base. And um, he came in, he just had a feeling he needed to come in and he came in, sat down on the couch and I could tell he knew something was going on. And I just looked down and I'm like, he says, are you okay? And I said, you are not gonna believe this. So that space where I could see in physical form, light and darkness stayed with me for three days as I recovered. And it has returned to me, like I can still see it in spirit form. So that stayed with me. And when I came back, I came back a different human being, an entirely different human being. What I've learned is, and I've continued to learn all through the years too, is that there is life and forgiveness. And like that big thing that I learned looking into my mother's face when I was just a newborn in my life review is we are all doing the best that we can with what we got you know, doing the best we can at the time with what we got. And, um, or we'd make different choices. And so the big things, the big takeaways that I want to make sure that you are left with is that this was my own experience. I went to this dark realm, this realm of darkness, but it was a positive experience for me. So I'm not saying that everybody goes, I have no idea. That was just my own experience. And, you know, another thing that I feel like is really important is that there's a huge difference between judgment and exercising good judgment. So, you know, I can only sit in judgment of another human being for about 10 seconds. Before. <laughs> you know, I realize, oh, if I was in their shoes, I'd make the same choices. But that doesn't mean that we should not exercise good judgment, forgiveness, and, you know, love. There was just so much love, so much love, like inexpressible, inexpressible love and light. And, uh, so lastly, I want to leave you with this. I know five kids who are all grown, three grandchildren, and my eldest child works in the medical community and saves lives. And his three amazing children has been married to his wife for 15 years. And, um, you know, just a lovely life. And my second child is also married. I really got nervous when he started to reach the point of seven, eight years old. And he and one of my other kids and... Uh, his wife, they all bought a house together and it's just magical. And then they have, you know, two that are here <laughs> right now helping, but they're all grown and they're all happy and it doesn't make your life perfect for sure. Your death experience, you still have to do life, but that perspective, you don't have to have a near death experience to have this perspective, to choose love, to choose light and to choose forgiveness. My biggest takeaway from my own near death experience is that light and darkness exist and it's not a bad thing it just is what it is and life isn't meant to be perfect or easy and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't but it's not life if it's always just perfect everything is just really a moment you know in the grand scheme of things and you know i can endure anything and it's not like i haven't you know had some rough time or experienced loss in all these years but I'm now able to embrace all of it, not just the light, but embrace also those tragedies that I've experienced. And not just because they teach me something and they do, but because I cannot have one without the other. There cannot be this amazing ecstasy of being alive, the love that 
I experience with my children, with my mother, you know, with my husband, um, with my grandchildren, with my friends. I could not have that unless there was also the other. And so that's my biggest message is to embrace it all, be with it all. Life is so much sweeter when we also can get that. If we all could just really get inside each other's shoes, if we all could do that and in one moment war would end hunger would end all atrocity all depravity would end in that moment if we could be in each other's shoes but that is a very powerful place to stand to learn to just be okay saying sorry <laughs> and uh be okay that life is not perfect that's not the design it's you know we have choice in this Thank you for listening to my story.